1: A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. We're recording this on Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. We are joined today by Mike Cavaluzzi, who is a criminal defense attorney based here in Los Angeles. Hi, Mike, welcome back. Hi, Anna,
0: it's good to be here.
1: You know, I just have to share one quick story with everyone and then we'll get right to it. <laughs> Okay, and it's about you, Mike, I'm gonna call you like Saint Mike. Um, I was walking Jackie O, my little rescue chihuahua, and we ran into a judge, a very prominent Los Angeles judge who will remain unnamed in this conversation. And he said to me, I understand you had Mike Cavaluzzi on your podcast. And I'm like, yes, I did, we love him. And we had the nicest discussion. He, He said, you know, you have great compassion real compassion, and especially for the people who you defend. And I shared the same experience. When we go through these cases, you have have compassion even for the most contemptible human beings.
0: That is such a nice thing to say. And I will say, I do know the judge that you're talking about very well. I've been appearing in front of him for many years, and I have the same respect for him that um, I'm very proud that it seems he has for me. So um, that, that's a really nice thing to hear. And uh, yes, that, that, that's a judge I respect a lot. So it means a lot coming from him. And yeah. it means a lot coming from you, Anna, uh, because uh, we're not always on the same side of things. But it's no. nice to know that you appreciate my perspective.
1: I absolutely do. And I respect it. And again, I, I think that just goes to to show everyone the caliber of people who we have on this program. We have this wonderful roster of experts from criminal justice. And it's the kind of podcast where a judge will stop you while you're walking the dog, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and I I. I take great pride in that and I'm very humbled by that. So let's get right to it uh, and okay. we'll see where your compassion meter falls on <laughs> these cases. Okay, Mike, I'm challenging you today. Okay. All right. <laughs> Our cases is... for the challenge? Oh, I got one for you. I really do. <laughs> okay. Our cases this week, an Alabama woman gets life in prison after testifying against her husband. She helped him. <clears throat> kill a family of five in 2015. The victims include the man's new wife, their unborn child, which is the most horrific part of this. The woman's other child, a nephew and her mother. Seems that the killer husband never divorced the first wife, okay, before marrying the second wife. And now he's been sentenced to death. You know, divorce would have been so much easier, as I always say. Okay, but that one, I mean, I can find no compassion in that one. But first, here's another one. A Texas woman is shot to death while driving on a highway in Dallas. She had recently found a tracking device on her car. Friends and family say that she was being stalked and harassed by a man. 22-year-old Abigail Abby Saldana was murdered last Tuesday, October 26, in Fort Worth. Abby had a five-year-old son, and she worked as an exotic dancer at Rick's Cabaret, which is an adult club in the Fort Worth area. At 8.40 p.m., a call comes in to 911 about an accident on Highway 183. The 911 caller reports seeing a Hyundai sedan speeding off an exit ramp, and then like onto this grassy area and then hitting a signpost. This 911 caller is an incredible human being, a good Samaritan. This person got out of the car, went over to the car that crashed, if you can imagine, to find out what was going on, tells the 911 operator, I see bullet holes in the side of the passenger Door And it looks like the driver is slumped over and not responsive. I mean, Mike, that that's really an incredible Samaritan to even go that far because you'd be so I'd be so frightened in L.A., you know, especially when we're thinking about the possibility of a car shooting, you know, from car to car.
0: Yeah, this is Texas. Remember those? Maybe they're a little bit more responsive here in L.A. Yeah, your temptation is to keep driving. And so you got to respect somebody who pulled over to really offer assistance. Sadly, it was too late in this case to offer much assistance, but to place yourself at some risk there. Um, Although I guess it did appear that she had had an accident. Um, It didn't appear that it was a criminal case really right. until somebody discovered the bullet holes in the car. And then the police came and found the injuries that were consistent with her being shot. So, um, but yeah, I agree with you. Props to the person who stopped and, and approached the car and tried to help.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause that's a human <clears throat> being in there. Um, the other thing that's going to prove to be very interesting in this case and having spent an awful lot of time in Texas um, um, on crime cases, you know, Texas has a really high level of cameras on their highways, plus they have license plate readers because there you're constantly being, um, you know, docked for your tolls based on your license plate. So you never have to stop, right? There are only a few toll booths. You just keep zooming along and then the state will bill you for all the tolls. So as a result of that, they have a pretty sophisticated level of license plate readers on their yeah. highways, and that's going to prove to be very telling in this case because it will place, according to authorities, the alleged stalker following the victim's car.
0: Yeah. So I feel like this maybe will not be as much of a who done it as to why he did it. What his mental state was when he did it and when he planned to do it mm-hmm. i think that's going to be the focus of law enforcement here i feel like they're going to be talking about what drove him to engage in in this sort of violent behavior um, they're going to talk about what his uh, mental health history is because there seems like there might be some mental health history there when the police went to his home he had cut himself and um uh, non life threatening ways it seemed, but more in, in a mutilation kind of way, which was sort of interesting. Um, so so that might be the the part of this case that we really want to focus on is kind of what was what was this guy's mental state? And you know it's it's interesting because the stalking piece of it makes you think that this is premeditated, right? That he's mm-hmm. stalking her. Yeah. He put a tracking device on her car, apparently, that it lends to this idea that this is a premeditated murder. And that's important in murder cases, premeditation. Right. Um, but it, what it, it might not mean that he wanted to kill her. It might mean that he just wanted to follow her. And the plan to kill her might have been last second. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And those videotapes will be important to that to see how long he was following her, to see how he pulled alongside her, to see if there was any exchange between the cars at all. Because if there's an argument that something happened that triggered the violence, the defense might be that this is not a first degree murder. This is not a special circumstances murder, which which is what gets you to the death penalty. So there are going to be some interesting arguments there. And I think beyond who did this.
1: Yep. Which I think, I
0: think is going to be the easiest part of it.
1: I think so, just based on the fact that someone has been charged, but just because you're charged does not mean in any way That's that right. you're guilty. And let's keep this perspective as well. The, the license plate reader puts, allegedly, his car at the scene. Now we have to figure out if the level of cameras and surveillance put him in the car.
0: That's right. Put him in the car and also... Make sure that, you know, because if he was stalking her and following her, you have to make sure that he was the person who shot her. Exactly. Even if he's in the car or if there was another car in the area, there's just a lot still to learn.
1: Right. I mean, I I still think he's suspect number one, especially when we get into the details of this relationship. And I read you some text messages that he decided to make public. And how he was maligning her and the accusations. Oh, my lord. I mean, he, honestly, he sounds like a jilted lover, except he, he claims he was paying for it. So we'll, we'll. We'll get to the details of that. So Abby Saldana was found dead in her car. She was declared dead at the scene. Police say she was shot in the torso. Cops find her passport in the car, and so they're able to make a tentative ID, which is really important. Second thing that the cops also find is um, very specific articles of clothing that indicate that she works at Rick's Cabaret. Of course, I would make the argument that the cops know She works at Rick's Cabaret and recognize the clothing for other reasons, but we will leave that to the imagination. (laughs) Okay, so the cops then call the manager of Rick's cabaret and The manager says, no, Abby wasn't working today. She wasn't on her shift. But I can tell you that she has been complaining to us and sharing with other co-workers and friends that she was being harassed by a customer, a regular customer at the dance club. And he's known as Stan is the way that they start describing him. The manager confirms all of this. So um, what's interesting is that the manager also shares with the police immediately that Abby said that she had found a tracking device on her car a week or two before this incident and that she had gone so far as to post about this on Instagram. So on Instagram, you have an immediate history as documented by the victim here about the tracking device, who she believed put it there and the fact that she was being harassed. How, and then the other thing is when the cops look at his Instagram They find a lot of information which he has posted about Abby and making all sorts of allegations against her that she was actually a prostitute and that he had paid her a lot of money. But when you read the text messages that for some reason I can't figure out this man made public, it sounds like he was in love with her. Love with a fantasy. This is like, you know, it's like, hello, what is this? An X-rated Disney movie? Everybody's happy in the end and gets married. Hello, Stan, wake up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there do seem to also be allegations of maybe him paying her thousands of dollars and her maybe not reciprocating in the way that he anticipated that she would. Mm -hmm. So it's a both the idea of a jilted lover aspect but also maybe a business deal gone bad, or at least something he perceived he was supposed to get in exchange for money and didn't receive. So Mm -hmm. there are many different versions of that and sort of what triggered the response. But certainly when you're putting a tracking device on someone's car, and I think that has not been proven yet either, but it seems that he's the person who did that. And when you're stalking somebody and posting about them on social media, that sounds like obsession.
1: Yeah. So the guy is 54-year-old Stan Zaliga, Stanley Zaliga. He apparently has responded to that Instagram post, as I said, has his own Instagram post, we believe to be his, where he's calling Abby a prostitute. And then cops find on Stan's account, you know, his claims that he paid her $3,000. So here's what's interesting. While all of that is being investigated, and we're going to get to the details of, of their alleged relationship, that while that's being investigated in real time over at the, uh, the adult club, police are back at the scene trying to figure out some more things. So as part of the investigation back at the crime scene, they uh, were able to use the traffic cameras and, of course, the eyewitness, the 911 callers version of events to figure out where exactly Abby was shot before she veered off and hit the signpost. And there they found three shell casings, which I think will be very important Yep. in the event that there are weapons identified. Do they match the one, the bullets that kill her? Who, what gun does that belong to? And so on. So that'll be part of the greater investigation. Also, at this point, because now they have an ID on the man who she said, had said, that was stalking her police decide to figure out okay what kind of car does stan drive stan drives a red ford f-150 they get his license plate and that's when they start doing the run of the license plates and the according to the wichita falls times the plate reader picks up stan's truck at eight twenty-two p.m near abby's house Police say, based on what they can figure out, that car, and we don't know whether Stan was driving it, but it's presumed that he was driving it, was following Abby. Then Stan's pickup follows Abby's car for 17 miles, and at the end of those 17 miles, the timing lines up with the 911 call. Yeah. Yeah. Looks bad for Stan. Oh, so many things look bad for Stan here. Oh, wait till we get to the messages and the things he posted on Instagram. Okay. Now, let's not forget that Abby, um, Abby has a, ha, well, she's now the deceased mother of a little boy. a yeah, five-year-old son. Yeah, And she is the daughter, and she is, you know, has family, and she did work, and... So Abby's mom told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram that she got a text from Abby at about 6.30, which would have been two hours before she was murdered. Um, But she didn't know, mom didn't know where she was headed or what was going on or that there was anything wrong. So that just gives you an idea. She's checking in with her mom. Okay, can we go back to Stan now? It's, it's like time to focus in on Stan here. So he's a software engineer who lives in Irving, Texas, and he's 54, and Abby's something like 22. Okay, big difference here. And when we put up their photos, you know,
0: she's an very. An even bigger young, difference. An even
1: bigger difference. She's very young and very beautiful, and Stan is not, you know? Okay. So he reportedly was a regular customer at Rick's Cabaret. And according to police, he posted all sorts of nasty comments about Abby on his Instagram three hours before her shooting. So you were asking about what triggered it. Is he unraveling, allegedly? Yeah. So in this post, he claims that Abby's a prostitute. And that then not only he shares like um, snapshots of... Uh, payments that he made through Zelle. That's right. Okay. So he is, he's building his case on Instagram publicly against Abby, trying to prove her as being a prostitute. Meanwhile, um, hello, Stan, who paid here? <laughs> yeah. Help me out here. <laughs> i just like, okay. Oh, my goodness. All right. So, um... <laughs> Stan writes, I never thought I'd be one of those guys taken advantage of. This is according to this, you know, Star Telegram. Um, he says in this posting that he's sharing this for awareness. I guess he wants to help other people. Yeah. Well, other men in this situation.
0: That's really common in situations where men develop obsessions um, with women and they want control over the woman. They often turn things around to make themselves the victim. So this is actually something that we really do see in these cases where men are violent toward either their girlfriends or wives or just their object of, aff- of affection, or even a, a woman that maybe they only know very little from an exotic dance club. I mean, they still develop an obsession and they what happens is that obsession creates in their mind the idea that they're the victim, they're someone who's been taken advantage of, and that allows them to feel in their twisted minds that the the woman deserves what's coming to her. And that's sort of what's so sad about this case is that, you know, this is a 22-year-old woman just getting started in life with a five-year-old Son and, and her mother obviously they were very close and it's such a tragedy for her um and uh and it's just such a, a horrible sad case and then this man who just becomes obsessed with her and makes himself into the victim
1: oh is, please it's
0: just yeah is is very perverse but i've seen this before unfortunately
1: And the thing is, even if, let's say, because, you know, we don't know what happened between the two of them. We'll be reading the text messages in a second. But, you know, no matter what happened between the two of them, no matter, there is no way that anything, whether it's transactional, meaning there's a dispute over, I paid you for this and I got that, or Stan's fallen in love with her and is obsessed and she's like, "Uh uh-oh, this guy's like out of control. Whatever the circumstances of this may be, nothing, nothing under, in any world, you know, rises to the level of killing a human being.
0: Yeah, nothing does, but there are certainly stories or, or, you know, cases that I've had, cases that we've all read about, where you can at least sort of understand the circumstances in which somebody felt compelled to behave in that way. That's not to defend it at all. But there are circumstances that are easier I think for us to maybe understand and get into that mind of the person who commits that act, this is not one of those um, because she's just, again, so young and starting out in life. And this is a person who clearly did not have a real relationship with her. It was absolutely a transactional relationship. And so you can't understand how that transactional experience becomes so perverted, That this person sees themselves as the victim who needs to go to that drastic place of actually violently killing someone. It's just so, so sad.
1: Oh, it really is. And as he was saying in that, um, in one of his postings that he was, quote, sharing this for awareness, he writes that Abigail S. and I since July of 2021, so... You know, pretty recent that they've been together. We've been enjoying each other's company. She's so beautiful and personable that I envisioned a future with her. But dealing with all the lies is overwhelming. I realize that's part of your primary job as an adult entertainer. Well, duh. (laughs) Then he goes on to say that if she would just leave her job as a prostitute, they could move forward. Really, Stan? <laughs> it's, it's just that fantasy so, world where everything ends yeah. up. You know what? And the flip side could also be true. I'm sure that there are a ton of exotic dancers out there, right, who see a regular guy come in who's good looking, is age appropriate, is generous. And they're dreaming, wow, he's he could be the guy. Maybe he's the guy. And, you know, that's not that's- likely going to work out either.
0: And that's always a part of these stories about these kind of of, uh, obsessions that turn into violence is that the flip side of them is you are right. They are like a Disney fantasy. So, you know, for some of the time, this deranged person, if Stan is the guy Mm -hmm. and if he killed uh, Abby because of an obsession, the, the flip side of it is that for a big portion of that relationship, he has this fantasy in his head in which he's a winner and everything's wonderful. And he's in love with the most beautiful girl in the world. And then very quickly, that switches over into obsession, hatred, anger and finally violence.
1: OK, it's time to read the text messages that Stan made public between. Him and Abigail, okay? Bring it on. All right. So the first set of text messages, it shows that they have a, um, that they're happy. You know, the the first set sets the stage that this appears to be mutual and that she's complimentary and he's complimentary. And I will try to keep this as um, clean as I, I possibly can um they're they're going um you know um here we go um she starts off saying um she even lets him know she gets home safely which i kind of (laughs) like as a crime reporter i always say to everyone please text whoever you had dinner with or went to the movies with let them know you got home safely so (laughs) abigail and stan are practicing this thing that anna garcia values (laughs) the everyone is home safe okay
0: Yep, I love it, too.
1: And, you know, that shows some mutual respect and affection here. OK, for whatever that is worth. Um, OK, so, you know, she says, I got home and she says, I wish I could have stayed. He says, glad you're home safe. You're amazing. Then she says, likewise, babe, hope I can see you next Friday. Stan says, you can. Um, Then they go back and forth like, did she leave a key fob? This goes back and forth. Okay. Then um, back to this again. So he says, I want to see you ASAP. Be safe. And then he says, oh, Stan. (laughs) Stan writes, I could seriously spend hours between your legs. You are so perfect, both personality and physically. And she writes back if this is all true, baby, you are unbelievable. You had me going crazy. Okay. On to the next one. So that shows, you know, some mutual affection, whether real or not. Now things have changed and Stan is not happy and neither is Abigail. Um, This doesn't have a timestamp for me. So I can't tell you what the you know, what the time frame was between the two. But in this text mail, uh, in this text message, I got to tell you, the part that he clips at the very top, I believe is what set him off. This is what I'm going to think it is. She writes, Abby writes to him, you actually thought I liked you? And she has the emoji of the person who's laughing so hard they're crying. Okay. Uh, yes. I have a feeling that's what <sighs> sets Stan off. Because that's, that's like ooh, dagger in the heart in yeah, other places, right? You is. really thought I liked you? Yeah. Now, we don't know what precipitated all of this, okay? So Abby continues. Again, if we are to believe that these text messages are authentic, she continues, and this is in caps, so she's shouting at him. I never liked you. You're a trick to everyone. Leave me alone. If you're not going to pay me, then we have nothing to talk about. So I don't care what you post about me. So I guess there may, it's not clear from here, but I'm going to interpret this as he was going to out her or something or go public to hurt her if she didn't do what it is that he wanted, allegedly. Okay. Then she continues. Oh, it's interesting. The rest of it's blacked out. I don't know if he blacked it out and why he blacked it out. And though the text message continues, this is Abby again. If you want to come back to Rick's, I will have to talk to the managers for you, but you have to bring 3K for me. Mm. So I don't know what that's about. Okay, now back to Stan. This is Stan's response now. You just admitted to being a prostitute. I guess Stan thinks he's got her here.
0: Yeah, sounds like it.
1: Yeah, and then he goes on to describe what a trick is and, you know. um, And then we don't see the the rest of it. But on the Instagram post, remember this text message, um, a snapshot of it, a screen grab has been posted on Instagram. And then what he writes on Instagram is a woman can be bought. A woman that can be bought isn't worth having i'm like stan did you just like wake up and figure this out where have you been (laughs) since july Uh, that that's (laughs) that's the part i don't get so counselor what do you make of this
0: oh wow so i mean it establishes a real history there if the text messages are true Mm-hmm. And you obviously they'll have to track that down through cell phone records and make sure that those are true exchanges. But it seems like they are because he shows some of the unflattering exchanges. So it seems like there was really a history there. I mean, it, it, it sets up a motive for sure—a mm-hmm. yeah, motive so. of betrayal, yep, a motive of revenge, mm-hmm. um, a motive, even a financial motive that she owed him money. <clears throat> And, uh, um, you know, this sense that in his mind, he was the jilted lover, Mm -hmm. you know, that in her mind, it may have been a business transaction. In his mind, it was a real relationship. Uh, It's bad for Stan from a standpoint of, of guilt because it establishes those things that are important for a jury, like motive, means, opportunity and the relationship and the anger, Um, but in some ways, it could play in his favor a little bit because it seems like there's some callousness on her part. And granted, she's 22 years old and so young, and I never ever wanna be perceived as being insensitive to a victim like that. This is a horrific crime, but it could create those circumstances where people could understand how she was very mean to him she was demanding money um, from him in exchange for favors and not just sexual favors. That, there wasn't where she's asking for the three thousand dollars is no longer about pay me to have some sort of intimacy with you. That's about something else. Mm-hmm. If if Rick's cabaret is a place where Stan goes a lot, where that's really a part of his social life, an integral part of how he meets women, even if it's how he tra- how he has transactions with women and he's been excluded from that location, that can create a real crisis for someone when this when that is someplace where you go and she's basically made that a part of the transaction. Either you give me money or I'm going to take Ricks away from you and, and that might be an important part again of his of his social life and so that might have been very challenging for him. Uh, but but again, it, it might create just the smallest, smallest amount of sympathy for him in terms of how she handled this. But his response is way too egregious. She's way too young. Um, and, and I don't see it having any real impact except for the prosecution and really helping them lay out the facts and prove the case against him.
1: And the fact that he posted this, according to authorities, three hours before the shooting yeah. almost gives you a sense of a frenzy, the buildup, he's yeah. really hurt, you know, and then the license plates match up where he's outside her home and he's following her. You know, it, it really does set up this this fury it, that's building.
0: It does. But from a defense attorney standpoint, and again, these are very nuanced shadings, but extremely important the defense will want to argue if it turns out that there is no way to avoid that it was stan who did this okay if the facts really the evidence really points in that direction very strongly the defense could shift to he was angry and wanted to confront her and did not decide to shoot her until the very last moment Mm. Uh, maybe there is Perhaps there is an argument that they were shouting back and forth in the cars, that they were engaged in some sort of emotional exchange right there, that this was a buildup of Stan's temper um, and that he wanted something from her, but not to kill her. And that was something that popped into his head at the last minute. You know, in Texas, the um, the concepts around gun ownership are very different than California. You know, in California, it is illegal to carry a loaded firearm in your car at all. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you would bring a loaded firearm into your car in California is absolutely evidence of premeditation. But in Texas, if it is commonplace Mm -hmm. for people to have loaded firearms in their cars, then that is not really evidence of premeditation. People just carry loaded guns in their cars, in which case the idea Again, that Stan just lost it and got so angry that in the moment he killed Abby, that would be an argument even for something um, like voluntary manslaughter, which would really get people upset. But that's where the defense could go if this is really about uh, Stan becoming enraged and in just a snap of a finger, loses it to such an extent that he decides to pull out his gun and shoot her.
1: So after police identify stan so it's the next day she's been found dead in the at night and it's the next day they're piecing this together they reach out to stan and they say according to the wichita falls times record that on wednesday october 27th the detectives call stan and said please come in to the police department at 5:30 p.m and he said yes okay then stan brilliant stan calls the police and says, you know what? I can't come in. You know why? Because there's been a death in the family. Yeah. Okay. Now, he never shows up. You know, people do this all the time. They call in and they say they can't come in. But really, Stan, someone just died. There has been a death in the family, Stan. Stan
0: should have called a lawyer. Stan (laughs) should have called a lawyer. And a lawyer should have reached out to law enforcement and maybe had a conversation with them Mm -hmm. and handled this differently. Um, but again, we have to question Stan's state of mind uh, because when they do go out to um, search the premises, uh, they find him with, again, these sort of odd uh, cutting wounds on his face and head. It, 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 it's It's odd the way that he injures himself. He's really not, odd like, slitting his wrist. No, oh, he you know, didn't plan
1: to kill himself because, based on those cuts.
0: Yeah. so so had he attempted suicide, that could really work for the prosecution because it could show consciousness of guilt. Mm. He was looking for a way out. But in the way that he injured himself, that could work for the defense because it could show, again, if they can establish any mental health history, it could show that he was not in his right state of mind and there may be some kind of an insanity defense, even temporary insanity.
1: Hmm. So Stan doesn't show up and the police decide, okay, Stan, we will come to you. So at 1130 that night, so it's now been 24 hours since Abby's been found dead, the Fort Worth SWAT team goes to Stan's house. They ask him to come out and he refuses. So SWAT goes in. And that's where they find him on the balcony with these cuts to his body. He's arrested. He has been charged. Stanley has been charged with murder and he's being held on two hundred fifty thousand dollars bond. All of this could have ended so very differently.
0: That is shockingly low bail, though, isn't it? Two hundred fifty thousand. And this is coming from somebody who is all about bail reform. That's you know, <laughs> you know what? That's I've said true. This on the show before it's and, usually
1: uh, me complaining but, about that.
0: But that seems low on a murder case because you have to remember that you know, and I have no idea what Stan's financial situation is. But, you know, people need to remember that in order to post bail, you just need to come up with 10 percent of that right. two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And if Stan owns the home he lives in. Um, He could post that bail and he could be out walking the streets, um, which I don't know that people, you know, love the thought of someone like Stan, uh, given his particular constellation of issues, his anger toward uh, this woman, his rage issues, um, his perhaps obsession issues, his stalking issues. I don't know that, you know, Stan is the safest risk being back out on the streets. Um, and it seems to me that on a case like this, even I would support maybe a bit of a higher bail or no bail.
1: Wow. Mike. <laughs> I know.
0: You never hear this
1: from me. I don't. I don't. Um, yeah. Well, we're, we will keep an eye on this one because I really am curious as to how this will all brew in the criminal justice system. It'll be very interesting. It's going to
0: be interesting because this could be a really uh, creative, fascinating and legitimate defense, Mm -hmm. depending on how this plays out, whether the defense is that it was not him and maybe he was following her, but somehow someone else interceded that's unrelated to him and they committed the violence. Oh, is that the OJ
1: defense? Someone else did
0: it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like I Mm -hmm. might have been obsessed, but I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to be the defense. But it's going to be interesting to see whether that's even an option that it's not him. And then if that is not an option, it's really it is going to be interesting to to watch how the defense handles the mental state issues and and his and the intent issues to see if there's some way of getting this from a first degree murder down to something lesser. Our
1: next case is. Just so disturbing on many, many levels. An Alabama woman helps her husband, the one she never divorced, kill his new wife and family. So this man was a polygamist. Uh, this happened in Newmarket, Alabama, which is approximately 30 minutes from Huntsville. 46-year-old Christopher Henderson was found guilty on July 1st of 2021. 15 counts of capital murder, burglary, and arson. The jury deliberated for two days, and he's been since, and since then he has been sentenced to death for these horrific crimes. He killed children. He killed an unborn fetus. He, he's horrible. The crime happened on August 4th of 2015. So it's incredible that we are here in 2021, six years later discussing this, but there will finally be justice in this case. It may not be the justice everyone thinks is appropriate. Not for us to decide here. So Christopher Henderson, on August 4th of 2015, killed his second wife and their unborn child, a little girl, her eight-year-old son, her one-year-old nephew, and her 67-year-old mother. Um, this is the very hard part. So the second wife, this is Kristen Smallwood Henderson. She was 35 years old. She was nine months pregnant. Um, I don't know how to say this because it's just so horrific. And the level of violence rage in this one act is, it's like, it goes back to the Manson family, uh, you know, this level of violence. So the baby, the unborn baby was cut out of the mother's womb. We're just going to leave it at that. Everyone who was killed was either shot or stabbed or both or a combination of. I mean, imagine the carnage here, the carnage. Then after this family is murdered, the house is set on fire. They, you know, I guess to cover their tracks. So what's very interesting is. The question is, what leads someone to do something like this? The two of them have been convicted. The original husband and wife um, who, who killed, have been convicted of killing the new second wife and her family. Uh, um, the, apparently, the second wife, Kristen, she found out that her husband was really not her husband because he was still legally married to his first wife. They had never divorced he was having problem. They were having problems in their relationship. He actually, this is, the, I mean, what's wrong with this guy? He files for divorce from his second wife when he knows damn well that he hasn't even divorced the first one. Uh, <laughs> clearly, someone's, you know, not all there. Um, she, the second wife, Kristen, who is the victim in this case, she was pregnant. She's murdered. Her baby's murdered. Uh, she files restraining orders against this christopher her um estranged husband i what do we call him since he since he was a bigamist
0: yeah still her husband though i mean they were still married
1: no how could they be married if he was still married to the other one
0: well you could be a common law spouse i mean it's like maybe not legally so but considered her husband i i I mean in terms of the fact that they were living together as husband and wife i don't know that there's another word for him
1: Mm -hmm. in terms
0: of what they're their relationship was but this is an ugly case this is Ugh. a really ugly case
1: it really is i i just has me so disgusted uh, you know we're gonna just go through some of this because you know five people were killed here a pregnant woman and her baby was torn out um that is not okay that is not okay um he actually christopher henderson actually apologized to the family in court what was left of the family that he didn't kill um give me a break these crocodile tears they're just like well he apologized
0: to his own family too
1: oh wow wow what a guy what a guy huh Yeah,
0: nice guy (sighs) so
1: what's uh, so how does the first wife so the first wife is rhonda carlson she's 48 years old now she's been sentenced to life in prison without parole And the only reason she didn't get um, the death penalty is because she testified against her husband to save herself to some degree. And when this case was going on in court, each one said it was the other one that did the murders. Okay. Oh, I didn't kill them. I planned it, but the other one did it. So she blames him. He blames her. I don't know what the truth is, honestly. Uh, And at this point, does it really matter? Because they both were there and did it and they've been convicted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it really matters. Well, you know, I think it matters to the extent. And it's something that we've seen before. I do think it matters because Ronda Carlson didn't know that he had married someone else. According to her, there was no intimacy in their
1: marriage. Wait, I think I'm going to argue with you there, counselor, because apparently some possible motivation here, because what could be the motive is when his second marriage is going badly, he reaches back out to Rhonda, wife number one, wife number one, then finds out that when he kind of left her, it's because he was cheating on Rhonda with this woman who he ends yeah. up starting a life with, right? So he rekindles his relationship with Rhonda. And my guess is Ms. Rhonda has been holding a grudge for some time. Yeah, I
0: agree with that. But I also think Ms. Rhonda might very much be under the control of Chris Henderson. I I, I really do. I think it might be a a situation to be engaged in a relationship where, again, if you believe her, she says there was no intimacy in the relationship at all. So Mm -hmm. you wonder, why was she married to him? Why did she stay with this person when that was not a part of the relationship? And I wonder to what extent he might have manipulated and controlled her and dragged her into this mess of the new relationship. I'm just saying it's the one part of this case that I'm a little interested in is the level of her culpability i think law enforcement believed her Mm -hmm. and that's why they allowed her to get life without the possibility of parole and to use her as a witness against the husband and i do think that there is perhaps a side of this from her perspective where this is a man that really controlled her and drove her to engage in behavior that separate from him she would not have engaged in i'm not saying i'm right i'm Mm -hmm. not saying that's what happened i'm saying that's the interesting aspect of the story would be to wonder a little bit more about ronda carlson and what her experience was with this man because if you do believe her and he committed that kind of unbelievable vile violence against someone um what might he have done to her and how might he have treated her that's all that i'm wondering i'm not Mm -hmm. saying she should get out of prison I'm not saying she's not guilty. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that there might be a side of this in which she, on some level, is one of his victims as well.
1: (sighs) Well, surveillance video shows Christopher and Rhonda at Kristen's house. That would be the second wife on the day of the murders. And, you know, Rhonda testified that she is the one who brought the gas can to the house, which shows premeditation and that she claims that she saw the two victims and that she didn't believe that anyone else was alive. Again, remember, she says he did it, he says she did it. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably it makes more sense that he did. I hear what you're saying on why that's, why that's important. Um, she still maintains that she did not participate in the murders. You know, the whole thing is just so disturbing. Five people are dead, and I don't know how this creep ever found two women Yeah. To have to marry. It's beyond you can't
0: help but think about those kids and the unborn (laughs) child just sounds awful. And for uh, Kristen's sister, that was her only child. The one year old (sighs) nephew, 14 months old, I think, was her only child. And she spoke after the sentencing. But what what good does the fact that Christopher Henderson is going to be killed do anyway? It's, you know, she doesn't bring her son back.
1: Oh, it's awful. Awful, awful, awful. All right. I don't want to talk about this case anymore. It's upsetting okay. me, Mike. Okay. All
0: right. Let's not talk about it anymore. We're done. We're done. Let's move on.
1: It is now time for our comments section. These are the crime stories you all are talking about on social media. And we have producer Owen Michael joining us now, who's always reading your comments. Hi, Owen. Hello,
2: Anna. Hello, Mike. Yes, Hi, uh, we do get comments. We read them all. Uh, this week, um, let me tell you about something in Louisiana last week, sheriff's deputies in Louisiana responded to a report of a subject living in the attic. When a woman called and said a man had just dropped out of her ceiling. <laughs> he saw her and then he ran away. Mm. Authority said, uh, the suspect had been living in the attic for an unknown amount of time. Didn't realize the tenant was home when he was leaving, uh, then saw her and took off he kind of blew his own cover there. Uh, Authorities did catch up to him and arrest him. They said this is the suspect's 21st arrest. Oh, they didn't elaborate on what his previous charges were, but uh, that's a lot of arrests. That's a mm-hmm. lot.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's times. why he was hiding in the attic. Uh, and
2: he thought he had, Yeah, he thought he had a good hideout here, um, which uh, begs a question here. John asks, says, uh, how in the hell did he survive in the attic where temps have to be well over the 100 degree range? I looked it up. It was Ooh. 85 degrees in Lacassine last uh, Monday, the day wow. of the arrest. So, um, yeah. Uh, DM says, "I think he was pretty ripe when they arrested him." Oof. Chris E says, "Time to make rat traps human size." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Veronica B said, "OMG, that would have traumatized me so much that I'd have to sell the house and move. Can you imagine?"
1: Oof, horrible. I wonder if he was going downstairs and sneaking food out of the house when they weren't there.
0: He must have been, because why would you live in, in, uh, in a, an attic that's over 85 degrees? There has to be some benefit, and the benefit has to be what's downstairs. There has yes. to be food. There must have been sustenance. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems to me that there must have been some benefit besides sleeping in a rat-infested attic that's 100 degrees.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what uh, problems were being solved here by this. But, uh, yeah, he literally had a roof over his head there for an un- unknown amount of time. But uh yes. Yeah, no, uh, don't do crimes.
1: Yeah, I know. That's your thing, <laughs> right? And that's good advice, I think. <laughs> really good advice. Yeah, I'm always shocked at the level of cases that we're starting to see a lot of where people are living in other people's homes and the people who live there, legitimately live there, don't know that there's someone else living in their home, whether you're well, hiding are. your lover. We've had a few of these, Owen, right? Yeah, well, whether you're yeah. hiding your lover or whether it's just right. like a person who has invaded your space. Like, how do you not know, you know, Jackie O would know if there was someone in this house.
0: Especially now, when there are so many people spending time in their houses, yes! like most people are even leaving
2: their houses. Maybe so you think what, you
0: would know what's going on in every square inch of your house right now?
2: I mean, <laughs> who knows? Maybe there was mm-hmm. a—you uh, know—this is much more widespread than we ever knew. But now it's being discovered because that, people are actually uh, working uh, uh, from uh, home or that's right. Grade. That's a good mm-hmm. point. Uh, who knows? Um, uh, it definitely seems like a metaphor for the times. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, thank you, Owen. See you next week. Until next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Well, Mike, that's our episode for this week. Thank you as always. Showing your compassion.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know that I had a lot of compassion for these two cases today.
1: <laughs> you showed some more than me.
0: That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll give you that. But yes. thanks for having me, Anna.
1: All right, Mike. If someone needs a compassionate defense attorney in Los Angeles or California, or they just want to follow you on social media, where can people find you?
0: Uh, Cavaluzzi Law. We have a page on Facebook and you could always call our office at 323-467-2300. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. It's like a commercial. With, we should have the phone number flashing for yeah. people. I love and it. com is our website. Okay. And you can always find me at Anna G News on all social media. You can find this episode and all our other episodes, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also sign up for our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Owen puts that together for everyone. So until next time, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. As we always say here at True Crime Daily, the podcast, don't do crime.